And now we continue our Sunday sermon sessions in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And the portion of Scripture is verses 12 through 17. The context, Jesus is speaking directly to his apostles, giving them information of encouragement, courage, perseverance, comfort, also instruction, and the things that are going to be taking place in which they are to be mindful of. The departure is at hand in which the Christ has um, prepared, if you will, in order to leave this earth, having uh, his mind on fulfilling the redemptive plan of salvation for mankind. And his apostles were going to have to say goodbye to him in the physical, literal form. And uh, that must, of course, been very difficult for his friends to um, receive and understand and embrace and um, encourage. They did not yet, of course, fully understand all the intricate details of this uh, agenda in which Christ in his ministry was to fulfill. So it must have been truly um, perhaps confusing in their hearts, uncertain, uh, fearful, perhaps some anxiety involved, in which, again, the Christ speaking these words to them was necessary, having them understand um, what was going to take place and to stay strong. And uh, instruction is valuable to this theme, to this context. And we, understanding it, knowing Christ speaking directly to his apostles, allows us what we can have in practical application for our faith today. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful thing. So, by all means, let's get involved with verse 12, chapter 15 of the Gospel of John. It says, and I quote, This is my commandment, Jesus speaking to his apostles, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So, the commandment, you, my apostles, eleven at this time, for Judas had been sent off to perform his act of evil, his act of wickedness towards the Christ in the corruption of his heart and the motive of his mind, he had departed, he had been set away. He was not clean, he was not pure, he was set away to go do the deed that the Pharisees were anticipating, eagerly so, that would bring about, of course, the murder of an innocent man at the hands of godless men. So Judas Iscariot has been set apart. Here is the Christ with his 11 remaining apostles, and he speaks to them again. We've been going through this. I encourage you to go to the archived uh, video section to follow along through this gospel. You can do that with the East Coast Church of Christ Facebook page. We upload there. This is my commandment. It's not an opinion. It's not a matter of one's own personal conscience. I don't feel like doing it. Or, yeah, perhaps I'll partake in this here moment. No, no. listen, this is a commandment. This is something you must do. 
you have to love one another. You must love one another. And what is the measurement, the standard of that love? Well, he says, just as I have loved you. You see, the Christ provided nourishment, he provided care, healing, forgiveness. He provided security, instruction, guidance. He provided a very healthy friendship, a very healthy entourage and environment, a hopeful one, peaceful one, a united one, family. This is a commandment. You must learn how to obey this commandment. That you love one another. And to what measurement is this love? Well, just as I, the Christ, have loved you, the eleven apostles before them. And of course, the idea of his love goes far beyond the apostles that he had called by his side. Christ loved all men, his enemies included. And we can learn the practical application to that very love in our day and age. It is most desperately needed for what the Bible would describe as love. The world has in complete opposition. For the world calls love hate and hate love. It calls what is evil good and what is good evil. And so if you go to the world and ask them to define the term, the description of love, they will not give you the description you and I read in the Holy Bible through the penmanship of the Holy Spirit and inspired God-breathed literature. God is love, a Bible verse would reveal. And so to know God is to know love. To know love, to read, study, believe, love should demand our participation and outward action which proves our love towards Jesus, towards his people, towards our neighbors, all man, right? Love one another just as I have loved you. And he says, of course, in verse 13, as we move along here in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, greater love, the pinnacle, most peak moment and measurement of love, has no one than this. Here's, here's the measurement in which it lands its most pinnacle, pivotal, profound depth. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. We have insight within the description of love and the expectation, the standard, the measurement in which it must be delivered, practiced. And we also see the details open for friendship and what true friendship means and what it looks like. Are we, in practical application to our faith this day, willing to practice this love? It is a commanded instruction. 
we are wise to learn how it applies. What does it mean to love one another? It means what Jesus, what Jesus did. See, what Jesus did was love. And so if we want to practice love, we must do what Jesus did. Now, you and I are not God on earth walking among mankind to die on a cruel cross for the forgiveness of mankind's sins. Know that it was unique for the baptism of the Christ, the cross. But you and I, of course, can still practice the behavioral attributes and characteristics of such love. A sacrifice. Are we willing to put one another first before our own needs? Are we willing to be thoughtful and kind? Are we willing to lay down our life for the greater good of the kingdom? Are we willing to lay down our life to save one of our friends, one of our fellow saints, Christians, one of our brethren? Would we jump in front of the bullet is the idea. Nothing here within the realm of foolishness to be practiced. Let's not go jump in front of traffic trying to prove our a point here, okay? <laughs> this has to remain within the decency of Christian conduct. And that is indeed demanding us, instructing us to lay down our life. Willing to do so. How are we commanded to love our wives as Christ loved the church? What did he do for the church? He bled. He died for us, didn't he not? We should be willing to give our lives for our wives. And for us husbands who understand that, we've counted that cost. I would be more than willing to lay down my life to save my wife and my children. It's a bit difficult to do that for an enemy though, right? Yet that's what's, what Christ did. That's a profound love. We have our soldiers, our veterans, who bled the ground red to give us the freedom that we had for a strong moment in time before our nations fell to the depravity of a godless mind, led by some of the most evil and wicked policies imaginable. Yet again, full circle in immorality. How strong of a time we live once again for the light to shine in this darkness. Love. Love. Love is a real thing. And it's deeper than just a surface emotional um, experience. It is sacrificial. It demands of us what is from within or what should be found from within the heart to express itself outwardly. Sadly, a great many Christians fall short of this mark. They miss it. They are filled with hate and bitterness, jealousy, pride, control. They've become toxic, hateful towards one another. And that is indeed sad, and they must be humbled into repentance. For love is the key to a fruitful branch in Christ, our productivity as legal citizens in his kingdom. To be fruitful is to produce the world out there filled with hate, might find it attractive to see a body, an assembly of people filled with love. 
patient with each other, long-suffering, kind. Love rejoices in the truth. It rejoices in what is upright and true and real, what is right. The truth is reality. It sets us free from the bondage of hate. How important was it for the Christ to speak these words? And we are reminded of the context in which the apostles, still thinking of an earthly worldview, thought who was going to be greatest among them. And Christ said, the servant, the servant will be the greatest. The one who is humble, the one who is thoughtful and selfless, kind, peaceful, still filled with courage and upright, mind you, against evil, but tender towards one another, always seeking and cultivating a way in which peace can be found. Love. This is my commandment, that you love one another, to what standard of measurement, just as I have loved you. And what is the pinnacle position of this love in its highest measurement, that one laid down his life for a friend? Christ was going to lay down his life for humanity, for his brethren. That's a powerful love. And he says, of course, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And this, of course, goes stronger than the, uh, um, how should I say, the strict manner and legality of the law commanded, which must be obeyed. The strong legality of the law is set forth from Christ. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. We must. But the key to his teaching within the ministry of the pages the Holy Spirit wrote leads our minds to understand it's deeper than a surface legality that must be obeyed. If it does not stem from faith and trust and love from within, then it is found vain as a noisy gong outwardly, because even faith that can move mountains, if found without love, is but a noisy gong. Paul would tell the brethren in Corinth. And a noisy gong may draw attention to itself. It may um, uh, portray itself as this intimidation, this bullish figure. But it has no depth, it has no substance, it has no love, it's in vain. It produces nothing of value in our faith at all. It doesn't teach us true value, love. God is love. Love one another. It's a commandment. It goes deeper than the legality in which we must obey. It goes deeper. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. If the heart's not right, you're missing one of the most necessary components to a well-rounded faith in Christ. We are to worship in spirit and truth, right? With the right heart and the right doctrine. If we have the right doctrine without the right heart, we're missing it. And Jesus spoke all about that in Matthew chapter 6. If we have the right heart, but the wrong doctrine, we miss it. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. 
the reason we want to do what he has commanded us is because it stems from our heart to love him. There are many brethren who show up with the assembly during the week, midweek studies, Sunday worship, and they are there in a bodily form, but yet remain shallow, for within their hearts is not found the love to be there. Similar to a rebellious youth, I'm just going to church because mom and dad told me to go. I can't stand it here. I can't wait till I'm old enough to leave. You see, sadly, there are also saints who are descriptively known as evangelists or preachers, gospel preachers, elders, who govern with the legality of the law. The doctrine is sound, but the spirit is far away from their hearts. They have no love for their brethren. They're deceptive. They manipulate. They practice all sorts of falsehoods. Why? They don't know Jesus. They know his doctrine, but they don't know the Christ. Our Lord wanted his brethren to truly tap into the source in which love is to be found. It's more than an emotion. Of course, it's not just the feeling, though a feeling and emotion is truly a blessing when we are governed by the word, which teaches us love. See, we cannot allow misguided emotions dictate what love should look like. The scriptures should command and govern our emotions into the proper description of love, and therein is fulfillment. We find ourselves truly with joy. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You know, in this fallen nation, we have all sorts of laws, policies for everything. We cannot do anything in this nation, no longer without the permission of our governing bodies. Everything from education to transport to health care to even the intricate things we do in what we thought was our private life within our home. All things now belong to this fallen nation and the corruption at the helm with its delinquency in all its policies. And within all its added laws every week, the people are growing further and further away from decency, from being upright and moral. Here's an illustration. Our governing bodies, within their corruption and their wicked policies, have made it illegal for one to protect himself with self-defense. They are removing all objects of equalization for a law-abiding citizen. Yet murder, which is against the law, continues to go up statistically. How is that? We have enough laws to say that murder is a punishable offense, which could give you life imprisonment. I mean, what else? What's the problem? Should we make more laws? 
Well, you see, the law is necessary, and it is indeed a good thing that the law is enforced against murderers. Sadly, we live in a fallen nation now where murder is legal. But there was a time when it wasn't. What other further laws do we seek? Why do people keep murdering? And why is it growing deeper and deeper with more murder and more murder? Because it's more than the law. It's a matter of the heart. Are you aware that if they took away all the guns, all the guns, there'd still be a strong murder problem growing and growing and growing in our communities? Why? We have enough laws against that. They're taking away all our guns. They've put in law all these things against this, against that. Why do we still practice lawlessness? It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. We want to cultivate a congregation in which the membership wants, seeks, eagerly anticipate, anticipates to be together and practice love with one another. Not by the heavy hand of a tyrant, oppressor. It's more than the legal necessity to obey. It has to stem from within. And sadly, a great many brethren miss it. And unfortunately, I've had to experience that in my limited wisdom throughout the decades strong in the brotherhood among Christians. They miss it. What use is the law if your heart is not in it? It needs to be part of the practice. Jesus spoke again I mentioned in Matthew chapter 6. It's a good thing that you follow the law. It's a good thing that you are not practicing adultery or murder. Of course, the law is necessary. The law of Christ must be practiced. No doubt. But what use is it if the heart is far away from him? It's one thing to speak of Christ with our lips, but if our heart is far away from him, how can we ever tap into the true description of our Lord and Master and be found with him eternally? We won't. We can't. That is why the Christ said, it's good that you do not practice adultery, but my, my friends, you are guilty of adultery within your hearts. It's a good thing that you obey the law and not murder your brother outwardly. That must be practiced. The legality of the law must be practiced. But within your heart, you hate your brethren. You're found guilty before God. It's not just obeying the law. It has to come from the right kind of heart. And in my limited experience, I've found a great many Christians, preachers, elders, do not understand that combination, which is necessary for salvation, to truly know Christ. Let's teach our children the value of being together and studying the word and practicing the word so that they would eagerly anticipate the assembly. I am well aware it is necessary at times in form of discipline that we need to tell the kids, oh, you're going to church with us. <laughs> 
You can throw a fit all you want. You're going. I understand the value of that. I understand that is necessary at times as parents trying to do what's right, trying to do our best to instruct our children to stay on the straight and narrow, certainly. But if we catch them at a young age and we teach them the value through our example for we become their walking Bibles as children, they see mom and dad. That's the example. That's what they see. We need to live Christianity. It needs to be authentic, genuine, transparent, honest. They need to see love of one another. What kind of love would I be showing my children if we are together and I put on an act, this facial expression and countenance before my brethren, but the minute they are out of the door, here I am murmuring and complaining and finding all sorts of corruptions against them in the sight of my children. They will see the hypocrisy, and a great many of us left the church for that very purpose. Or what of the individuals who've crept in unnoticed, the wolves in sheep's clothing, to which everyone turns a blind eye and still supports and encourages? Diotrephes, the Pharisees, you don't think the youth see the hate trying to masquerade itself as love? You are aware that some of the most evil workers who have crept in unnoticed in the church will speak to us and teach to us all sorts of things in regards to love and humbleness, why they are so hateful and prideful. You don't think the youth recognize that? You don't think they can't discern that and see the hypocrisy? Of course they do. They leave the church. Now there is no credible reason to leave the church. You cannot be justified in such a, an act of lawlessness before God with your independent accountability and the intellectual necessity for the moment. But forbid we be the ones who are pushing them away instead of embracing them. How so? Love must be practiced. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. We must practice this form of love. For God is love. And if we want people to know God, our Lord and Master, the Christ, if we want the world out there to convert and follow him, they must first be able to see his love. For some, the Christ, the only image they've had is the image men have created in their own fleshly desires, which is a self-righteous Pharisee, a hypocrite, Diotrephes, a divisive brute who has nothing to produce in love, only cultivates bitterness and hate. We must extinguish those. We must mark them, avoid them, and remove ourselves from them so that we can be pure. We can have ourselves a, an assembly that is pure and faithful and upright, that practices love and that our children are seeing and want to uh, follow. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. There's more than the legality of it, which is necessary to obey. There's more to it. It must come from the heart. It certainly must come from the heart. No longer, he says in verse 15, do I call you slaves, servants. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
the relationship is deeper than the master and slave dynamic. Yes, we are slaves to Christ. We are servants. But more than that, these apostles were his friends, for Christ allowed them personal insight within his life, his mind, his thoughts, his outcome. A master and his slave, the dynamic typically is simple to the legality of it. Do this, do that, do it now. Yes, master. But to sit down in fellowship and have a meal in which the master is speaking to his students, to his slaves, and allowing them insight within his own personal thoughts and mission, ministry, emotions, is indeed description of good friendship. And ah, man, I certainly wish we would have learned the, these things earlier in life. For a great many who have pretended to be friends have infiltrated only to take advantage and to cause chaos and division and destruction. If you want to know what a true friend is, you look at what Jesus is describing. You look at the Christ himself. When you look at what a friend should not be, you go to Judas Iscariot. You go to Diotrephes. You go to Alexander the coppersmith. You go to the Pharisees. No longer do I call you slaves. The relationship has grown so much more. Friendship is involved. You did not choose me, he says in verse 16, but I chose you. Bit of an excursion to that statement. It has absolutely nothing to do with Calvinism whatsoever. The Christ chose them, for he is the master in control. And he chose them for the task at hand. Judas was chosen as well. Judas, of a free will, chose to remain within his corruption and go against his friend, the one who loved him. But these would fulfill, not before abandoning, of course, but they will fulfill and they will come, become the recipients of the promise, the comforter, to which they solely were the recipients endowed, miraculously governed by the Holy Spirit, the outpouring power that recorded forevermore in the pages of Acts chapter 1 and 2. For you did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. Remember what he said in the portion of verses 1 through 11 in regards to those who abide in the vine, as branches must produce fruits. We must be productive for the Christ. They had to be productive. They were going to be governed into all truth. This is a supernatural activity recorded they received in the first century. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, there is the condition we must uphold. Whatever they ask must be within the will and condition of his name, his authority. For within his name, his authority is found his will. In my name, he may give to you whatever it is in my name with the authority of there are a great many things someone can ask of god but if it is not in the authority of the christ if it is not permissible you won't receive it 
This I command you, verse 17, now within, again, a rightly handled verse 12. This is my command, or this I command you, if you will, that you love one another. That you love one another. What's missing? Love. Love. This was a a most important instruction, commandment, and information that he gave his apostles. If you love one another, you will serve one another. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And it's deeper than the legality of it. It must stem from the heart. Some men have bad hearts, wicked, evil hearts. Some Christians are evil workers. Those do not represent the Christ. Those do not represent his church. How will we be able to discern the difference? Because you can have a congregation that calls itself the church that belongs to Christ. And you can walk in there and have individuals who call themselves Christians. How can we differentiate? How can we discern the difference between a congregation bearing his name that is genuine to the Christ and one that is not, simply masquerading wolves in sheep's clothing, if you will, filled with corruption, unhealthy, toxic presence? Well, how do we tell the difference from a health? Love. Love. Love does not tolerate sin, obviously. Love does not cultivate, promote, encourage sin. But love suffers long with individuals who are renewing their minds, individuals who are changing, individuals who want to go away from sin. If there is progress, love should be found. When they see love for one another, when we recognize love for one another in this measurement and description, when we love each other so deeply that we'd be willing to lay down our life for each other, that's where you can find the difference between one congregation that would be toxic and unhealthy, corrupted, and another congregation that would be flourishing, producing fruit, healthy, healing, forgiving, kind. There's the difference. The doctrine, of course, must be intact. Always. But it must be both within one. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. One can believe without baptism he's found lost. For a true believer will have faith in Christ to be immersed, born again, out of water and the Spirit, saved. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does does not believe shall be damned. We must worship in spirit and truth. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born out of water and the Spirit, the Spirit, His words are written. We read the words of the Holy Spirit We study the words, we believe the words, we act upon the words. Friends, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Acts chapter 8. We will be born again out of water and the Spirit. It takes the two. (laughs) We must love one another. 
It's deeper than the legality. It must come from the heart. For I command you that you love one another. That's how we will tell the difference. And that's how we will become attractive to this dying world when they see love. When you're drowning in a world of death and sin and hate, how attractive is it to see a congregation flourishing in love for one another and family? We've been truly blessed here as the East Coast Church of Christ, for that is exactly what we are following, the instructions of our Lord and Master. He is the head of this church and no other. See, we don't need hate here or bitterness or toxic behavioral delinquencies. We don't need pride and control and greed or jealousy here. We're a humble, loving family equal to one another, and we practice this love, for we know God is love. That's a beautiful thing. All right, well, that wraps up the portion of Scripture here for our sermon session in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. I truly appreciate your kind attention. Hopefully there is substance in the things shared that will help your life and your faith. If you are found on the east coast of Canada, in New Brunswick, Canada, reach out to us. We can study. We can have conversation. We can video chat. We can exchange a phone call or email, uh, whatever is necessary. Check out eastcoastchurchofchrist.com. We're a growing family. Renewals, baptisms, we're growing. And we'd love for you to be part of that. We have goals. We have goals, missions, ministries. We accommodate for our youth, young parents, adults, seniors, families, Widows, elders, seniors, all of it. And here you will find the, find the truth and love and love of the truth. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It's a necessary thing in our day and age. Truly, it is. It is indeed. All right, my dear friends, please consider subscribing, following, liking, sharing, drop a comment, all those wonderful things. If you find value, in the Added Souls ministry and the work we provide through the Maya family as we labor along the East Coast Church of Christ mission here on the East Coast of Canada, please lovingly consider with compassion to get involved. You can sign up to addedsouls.locals.com. It's free to sign up. But once there, you can choose to support. No amount is too low. No amount is too high. Everything's transparent. You will have the uh, uh, opportunity to receive updates and reports, all those things you can, if you have questions or concerns, you can support there. You can also go through PayPal, or if you need an address, you can reach out to me and I'll be more than happy to give you an address. Um, yeah, I think that's it, right? Stay focused and stay positive. You are appreciated and you are loved. Right? Is that good stuff? Lord willing, tomorrow we'll keep going throughout the week with our uh, regular podcast sessions, 10 a.m. Atlantic Daylight Time. Look at the show notes, and uh, we're pretty much everywhere now. Twitter, uh, YouTube, Rumble, um, Facebook, uh, where else? All those places, I guess. We're also in the audio, right? Spotify, iTunes, Google, Podbean, all those locations as well. So, uh, yeah. That's it. Till next time. Peace out.